All right, it's Monday night, which means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, that show that mixes comics and politics. Uh, this is the show for folks that know Scott Walker isn't gone and like a true horror villain will return in the third act. So tonight's episode, <laughs> there we go. Uh, I had to say something, and that's kind of what I came up with. I was going to say something about him actually winding up like removing the mask after the Scooby-Doo kids found out or something like that, but... <laughs> It wasn't quite gelling, so I went with that one. Uh, so tonight is a potluck episode, and we'll be talking about The Bat, A Fret, at SPX. Sorry, I couldn't rhyme that last one. I actually really thought about that one for a really long time. Uh, but before we get well. to that, <laughs> uh, joining me is my co-host, Alana. How you doing, and what's up with you? Hi, I'm back. I, uh, I want to just take a minute to say a few words about a member of the online organizing activist uh, democratic community who died really unexpectedly this week. Um, people probably saw a mention of this in the Washington Post. Um, Jake Brewer, who I knew through work and a lot of folks in the community knew, um, died just in a crazy freak accident. And um, it's a good as time as any to just remember how fragile life is and uh I, I would be remiss to mention that one of the photos that I saw somebody posted of his family today online um, was of him and his wife and baby cosplaying with him as Captain America, uh, his wife as Black Widow, and their daughter as Nick Fury. And it was really adorable and really, really sad because he won't, he's not alive anymore and won't be able to raise his family. Um, so, so, yeah, I just wanted to give a little quick m- mention to and thoughts to, um, for Jake Brewer and his family and his friends and loved ones today. So, yeah. Yeah, you and I both have a lot of friends in common who uh, who knew him and knew him well. So um, I know my thoughts are with everyone and to see the outpouring of thoughts and what everyone had to say has like been really touching today and it's just a sad thing to see happen. Um, yeah, folks should just go and check out the story about him in the Washington Post. If you just look under Jake Brewer, you'll you'll get the to hear a little bit more about him and his life. So, yeah, and the important things he did. Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, that he did. So, uh, so thanks. I just wanted to do that. Yeah, no, as as we should, and I have no idea how to transition off of that. Uh, yeah, there's like no there's like no transition off of something that freaking awful and ridic- and like just random. Yeah, have you ever anyway. heard of Casey Kasem where he goes like crazy because of that? No. Oh, I got it. I'll send you the audio at some point. Oh, it's you know a, what? I think I have. A, yeah, yeah. There was yeah. somebody who died, and then he had to talk about like a, a new record, and he was like, "I can't freaking do this. This is ridiculous." Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, I think I've heard that. And he nailed it. Yeah. No, he was completely right on that. So there's no way the hell in transition off that. Um, so if yeah. Kasem can't do it, then we can't because he is. A, he was the true, true professional professionals. So. Yes. Yes and yes. Um, so we actually, we got some fun things to talk about tonight. There's some interesting things to talk about tonight. Um, the first one is, let's, let's do Batman first. Um, okay. so for, for those who don't know, Batman, uh, you okay over there? Uh, yes. <laughs> so Batman 44 came out two weeks ago. It wasn't last week. I think it was two weeks or was it last week? Might've been last week. Two weeks. Two weeks? Two weeks right. ago. Two weeks ago. So Batman 44 came out from DC Comics. Um, it is kind of a standalone issue. 
Um, is you know a little bit of tie-in, but you could definitely enjoy it uh, on its own. And we, I think we both will say that we highly recommend checking it out. What, yeah, I, I had not read any Batman in, lately at all, and I had no yeah. problem getting into it. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's a really cool one. Um, it's Scott Snyder, who's the regular writer, um, is writing it. Uh, Brian Azzarello is a co-writer, and I think Jock is the artist. Um, mm-hmm. Amazing uh, comic. Tons of people are praising it. Basically, throughout the issue, they take on tons of real-world issues, uh, most notably uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, uh, police um, interaction with minority um, uh, groups, uh, and kind of Batman's role in all of it. It's a it's a touching and uh-huh. I think amazing moving uh, comic. Uh, I fully expect it to see on numerous like, best of comics of the year lists, uh, individual issues lists. Um, and you were uh, quoted and talked to the Guardian about it. Uh, so I, I let was, you I was. take it from there. <laughs> sure. Um, I'm going to go share on Twitter the link uh, to the story for anybody who didn't who anybody who didn't catch it. Actually, I should just say, because I realize I haven't been doing this on our podcast, my Twitter account is E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. So you should all go follow me right now at Elana underscore Brooklyn. Um, so, so yeah, uh, you know, I had not been reading Batman at all um, for a long time. I had heard it was a really good quality book and all that, but um, it just wasn't at the top of my list. Uh, and when I heard about Batman 44... Is basically um, Spencer Ackerman wrote to say, guys, Batman finally dealt with structural institutional racism in a comic. And my jaw just dropped because, like, this is the Batman we've been waiting for. Um, you know, Batman has not really historically been a particularly socially involved comic, in part because the closer you examine the premise, the more it falls apart. Um, and, you know, like, Batman is a noir story, as a bit of a horror story, and it's not—it's not a and and you know the idea of everybody jokes about like you know a billionaire who runs around punching the mentally disturbed instead of actually solving real world problems <laughs> is kind of like the joke that everybody gives about it. Um, so there wasn't something people were particularly looking for in from that book, but it was so it was such a smart, but the book was so smart in how it talked about it. Um, it addressed the fact that these the, the interconnectedness of police abuse and race and class um, is a blind spot for Batman, uh, the character. And it expect, and, and this comic has Batman come to recognize that he's been missing seeing these connections. Um, one of the things I was quoted saying is that, you know, comics have talked a lot about police acting, behaving badly. It's a frequent topic. You know, corrupt police are often given as an excuse for why there needs to be a vigilante, for example. Well, the corruption is, ne- is, is never shown to be endemic throughout the, the policing of America and the world, and, the, and that problems with policing are never really shown through a racial lens. I have seen comics talk about cops treating low-income people unfairly. That's something you do get to see, you know, especially in comics like Green Arrow, which have a real uh, class consciousness to them. But nobody ever talks about police as violence as racist and how even cops who are themselves people of color are, you know, used as tools to maintain the oppression of low, other, like, people of color. That's just not something that I've ever seen in a comic before that was, like, a mainstream comic. It's certainly the kinds of things you see in indie comics. 
And you find that this in Batman, of all things, is just just nothing I would have expected ever. Um, uh, the, uh, the general, you know, attitude that you see in comics is that when cops do things that are wrong, it's a few bad apples or even a bad police department, which can get cleaned up by having new leadership brought in or an expose in the paper. And, yeah, like having new leadership brought in and an expose in a newspaper can certainly help, but it does not solve the institutional racism of the police system, like which was like baked into the sauce of the modern police force. Uh, police force being something that was designed to protect po- property rights as a higher priority than protecting people, um, that has historically excluded people of color from serving in it. And now there's a much more racially diverse police corps, but the uh, overwhelming sort of attitude and training and the way the laws are set up is such that they continue to disproportionately oppress people of color and their actions. The way that people in the, you know, in the public interact with cops is incredibly colored by race and class. Um, and to see Batman have an issue where Batman recognizes that this is something he's, that he hasn't, he just hasn't seen. He hasn't addressed that. And that his, and this is, this is a comic about Batman fucking up. Batman recognizes that he made a mistake in how he handled um, a number of different cases that are around the periphery of the life of a young man who's, like, you know, one of the main topics of this issue. Uh, so uh, for him to sort of be able to be self-critical, um, and it, it, it's really also cool that, you know, this is not, this is a comic that, is, is, this is one of the things I mentioned in, my, in, the, in the article Oh, no, this is not. This is something I mentioned in the blog post that I'm not quite done yet um, that has everything I wanted to say in the Guardian article but couldn't quite make it because it was not a 50-page book. Um, you know, the issue is called a simple, a simple, um, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, a simple, um, I had this open a second ago. A simple story or, or something, a simple case, thank you. And every single, and you don't see that that's the name of the issue until the very, very end of the comic because the entire story is set up to undermine the notion that this is a simple issue. It is complex. This is, a, this is an issue of a superhero comic that shows that policing is a complex issue and that race and class are complex issues and that you can't just use one as a stand-in for the other. Um, and it shows the ways in which Bruce Wayne, as a private philanthropist and as a and as a developer and as a some and as an entrepreneur who tries to invest in the city in a responsible way, like he tries to be responsible, is nevertheless still part of doing damage to the low income communities of Gotham. Um, it talks about how certain kinds of community investment he's trying to do, you know, are are causing bad situations for existing re- residents in those neighborhoods. It talks about gentrification. It talks about the uh, it talks about the displacement that people face when areas get new investment in them, and it talks about how people also still need that new investment. Um, you know how and how historically people of color have been denied the loans and financial support from the banking system. I mean, to have a superhero comic that even mentions like it doesn't use the term redlining, which is a term that was that like financial institutions created to financially discriminate against people of color and their clientele. But it explains what that is within the comic. Um, this is the Batman that we've been waiting for, really, because this is Batman that's relevant to our lives and to our world right now. 
Um, and it's just a relief, practically, to see to see Batman doing this. And I don't think somebody other than Scott Snyder really in, would have would have done it over there right now because he's in a position of a lot of authority. DC Comics isn't going to tell him no um, when he wants to take on something this political and this nuanced at the same time. So that's kind of a mouthful. But what do you think, Brett? Uh, I think you nailed it. Um, so not only does he all do all this stuff, but he also impressively ties it into the ongoing story, um, but has it to the point that you don't know it's necessarily tied in. So a new reader can go in and just enjoy and read the, the comic for what it is. Uh, but for folks who have been reading for a while now or you know, definitely with the, the new arc, um, there's tons of stuff in there that kind of ties into it. Uh, imp- like really impressively. So the fact is, to me, like it's not just him writing this like very deep and well thought out uh, Batman story that takes on real issues and you know has actually something to say about it. Uh, but he also does it while t- tying into an ongoing story, which to me is even more impressive uh, than just like writing the the initial story itself. Um, mm. it uh, you know to be able to kind of pull off both, I think is is amazing. Like that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, just in general, having a story or comic where some anyone else can like come in and and have a, a one, basically a one shot and still have that one shot tie into uh, the the main story, I th- or like in the ongoing um, arc, like mm-hmm. it's a very impressive and difficult thing to do. And, and the fact that he was able to do that, plus have something to, da- something to say uh, socially and about society, I think is just even more amazing. So, I mean, he, with this, like him and Azarella just showed like how talented of writers they are and why people, you know, consider them as good as, you know, they do. Cause well, you know, obviously mm-hmm. they are. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the the story, I think, you know, really touches on a lot of things. I think it shows that you can do Batman uh, as a social crusader, um, you know, something that we've normally seen Green Arrow be in the past. Um, but uh, the, you know, the fact that we're seeing Batman do it, I think, is very, very different because, yeah, usually his solution is I'm going to punch it. Or come up with some crazy, you know, gizmo that helps me save the day, and I'm just going to throw people into jail to, uh, you know, deal with their insanity in jail and actually not get the proper treatment that they need. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's uh, I think him doing this is, is going to be very interesting, and, and I, I hope he continues it in the art going forward. Um, you know, as a single comic. Absolutely fantastic. This is definitely, I think, one of my favorite of the year so far, single issues. Um, but, I, you know, how he goes forward and is there going to be any resonance in his Batman going forward, I think will be really, really interesting. That's true. That's a very good point. I, I do want to just say one thing, though, and this is something which I'm going to be talking about in my piece. Is, I mean, there's a question, though, of, like, what is the role of the extraordinarily privileged and the richest people um if they want to make a difference in a positive way in society. Um, And, you know, like Bruce Wayne is, you know, somebody who's well-intentioned and wants to solve problems, but he can't do that because of the ways he's trying to solve them. You can't donate money in such a way that it'll end 
poverty because you are still controlling the money that and who gets it and how to size it. You're not allowing low-income people to, to be, you know, controlling of the institutions that you're supporting um, with you're the one who's funding everything and making those decisions. Um, and, you know, you don't really see, you don't see Bruce ever talking about reforming the tax code to make it fairer so that the richest people, you know, who can get, who can pay the most in taxes are, you know, putting the most back into the city. All of his things he does are out of his own sense of noblesse oblige. He's not fighting for public policy that will force other wealthy people to pay their fair share of taxes. Um, we have no idea really how, how are the orderlies and janitorial staff treated at like the Wayne Foundation Health Centers, mm-hmm. you know. We don't really have a sense of that. Are they union? I sure hope they're union. Um, and, um, you know, if, if Batman wants to actually end systemic poverty, then it isn't just, he shouldn't just be going around making donations. He should be giving money to support infrastructure that will allow organizations run for and by low-income people to do their own organizing and build their own membership bases so they're not dependent on rich guys like him to make gifts, basically. Um, so, you know, I would love to see Bruce Wayne use the Wayne Foundation in more creative ways, but, like, in the end of the day, like, if you want this comic to really do its job well, it has to offer some self-critique of the whole notion that, like, Bruce, as a rich person, you know, is the savior of anything, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, and what's interesting is I think as a whole Batman, not necessarily just Snyder's run, but a lot of them, I always got the vibe where there was this aspect of Bruce Wayne being like, I'm going to do some good Batman, but I'm also going to you know fund these couple projects as Bruce Wayne, and then he always runs up against something that kind of prevents the projects from happening, and then he has to punch the mm. solution as Batman. Um, good point. Which... And I'm sure that's it is an absolute over exaggeration and and making it way too simplified. But I feel like that's something that we've probably seen a lot of in the Batman series, um, mm-hmm. even maybe the cartoon too, um, where he will he say like you know I'm going to solve it by spending this money and then things go awol because you know Penguin attacks or Joker attacks or there's corruption in Gotham. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's face it, like if he really wanted to do real good, I mean, this is a guy who could self-fund a, a, you know, a picked, hand-picked mayoral candidate and, you know, start to clean house with, you know, one or two elections, like, and he's not, Uh he doesn't do that, so to see this, I think, is really kind of fascinating, I'm I'm wondering if maybe Snyder is going to start examining that, Um, I don't necessarily expect it, but it would be really interesting for him to do it. Yeah. I think you're right, though, about how Batman has dealt addressed those things in the past. I think I think that your generalization is accurate. So, <laughs> yeah, I like it's one that I, I, as a reader, off and on over the years, like I feel like I've seen this God knows how many times. So it was one where I'm like, I'm pretty sure this has happened before. Like we've we've kind of gone to that where it's like I'm gonna build a uh, a, a low income. Um, Housing, housing unit for people unit, in the yeah. Narrows, and then you know someone comes in and it's like all corrupted, and gangs come in, and then he has to go fight people, and it turns out the gangs are run by Penguin, who's making money, and you know I just, I feels like a plot line that well writes itself, and that we've seen a bunch of times. So um, yeah, that's definitely true. Emma has a really good piece. Um, Emma Hubba has a really good piece in Rainbow Hub, talking about how the narrative demands of a Batman story require everything to sort of snap back and to have any real progress or change occur. 
in Gotham itself um, and the limitations of the genre that is the Batman story genre, uh, I think folks should definitely check that out if you're, if you're curious about, like, why Batman doesn't and can't do some of these things that we would kind of, like, want it to do if if Batman was, you know, in our control, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing. I You know, I'm not... You know, I, I haven't read MSPC yet, um, but it's it's one where it's like he's got to have that, he's got to have something to bump against, and whatever he, you know he's bumping against has to be some sort of corrupt, you know, institution or corrupt thing. Um, things can't get better because he's kind of a downer of a character, and he's always like, you know, fighting upwards is kind of a, a thought of like a way I would put it. Um, I know that's probably not quite mm-hmm. the best way of putting it, but. Um, so like him making progress just wouldn't it, to me it wouldn't seem right, um, and then at that point it'd be like all right well he cleaned up the Naros well the east side is really corrupt now, um, and I think you know I could see it just going that way where you're like oh you know it's an it's a Sisyphean task for him, where uh-huh. as soon as he finishes one thing he's off to somewhere else to go fix it, um, and I think that would just get a little tiresome, um, but it's a it's an interesting thing like. I would like to see more of it, but at the same time, I don't know if I want to see more of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do have greater faith in Snyder and, like, what he chooses to do than I would with most people, and I acknowledge that that has a little bit to do with the fact that he teaches at my old college, and I think (laughs) that people have pretty good politics there. But, um, yeah. Generally, the, the short version is, Go if you haven't read it and go get Batman number forty four. It's I think really good, um, really solid work. I think it's a, a indicative of some of the solid work that's coming out of DC that definitely does not get enough credit. And uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. get it, check it out. It's good, and if you can't find physical copies, there's always digital. You can get it uh, on numerous services. So yeah, that's how I got it. You have no excuse, people. You can buy it right now while listening to us. Um. Yeah, so I guess we could go to the frat part of our bat frat and SPX. Uh, sure. Uh, and I feel the kind of the, the frat kind of ties into what you're saying about the institutional issues. Um, mm. So for those who don't know, um, last week or two weeks ago, it's times flying by at this point. Um, Marvel made an announcement that they've got a new series called Red Wolf uh, coming out that will star a Native American character that they've had for as a character for many, many years. Um, consulting on it and doing covers is a Native American creator. Uh, that's all great. Uh, the bad side of it is the writer is uh, a guy named Nathan Edmondson who uh, is basically it's agreed by quite a few people in the industry as a shithead and uh, not a very nice person and should not be on this sort of high-profile book, let alone many books. Um, so many sites, including ourselves, kind of wrote stories um, on, on various aspects. My take on it was more there was a, 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 a backlash towards sites like ours that we weren't covering this stuff enough. And I try to explain that, you know, we, we do cover this and we have done what we can, but it's very difficult to cover these sort of things with uh, uh, when people who have interactions aren't willing to go on record or don't want you to use the information they told you. Um, and that many people have been looking into this particular issue for over for years at this point. Um, and 
and either have come up against, you know, butted up against walls or haven't quite found that, you know, enough of that fire to really go forward. Uh, but generally agree the guy's a shithead. Um, so, you know, everything blew up, tons of stuff on there, uh, created some interesting conversations. Um, and my take on it is even if a site like ours were to uh, write an article about particular creators and their behaviors and the stupid things they do, uh, in the end, it doesn't matter because – and the reason it doesn't matter is because the institution as a whole is what's corrupted, tying it back into the Batman thing, um, oh. that the there is uh, issues within many of the publishers. This isn't true of all the publishers, uh, but many of the publishers who either protect this behavior or sweep it under the rug um, or outright just don't care. Um so even if we were to name and shame, um, it doesn't actually change anything. You're, all you're doing is uh, you're, you are uh, taking on symptoms. To, this is my take now, is you're taking on symptoms, not necessarily the problem. Um, so to you, as to what your thought is of that. I agree that these are symptoms, but I do think that the more we're able to call especially now in this era in which comics are all owned, like the two, the big two are owned by like big media conglomerates. Mm-hmm. Like I think that if you're able to have, if we were able to have more press like that shows what these problems are, the publishers are going to be under scrutiny from the companies that bought them because of financial liability. And that that will force people to actually have a fucking HR policy. Because it sounds like a lot of the problem is that people just aren't actually using a HR policy like you'd have in a real business. Yep. Um, and um, and then the other the other piece that's an institutional one is something which I know we've talked about and a lot of other folks have talked about, which is like having the back of the people who do come forward and like having structures yep. to protect them to make sure that they're able to work and they're not signing their whole career away for speaking out. Because that's the reason why we don't have um, you know, all of the articles that we want to have written, all the exposés we'd like to have written, is because the people who these things happen to, I mean, partially people are traumatized about their experience in the way that survivors of anything bad can be traumatized and won't necessarily want to speak publicly about them. But then there's the added stressor of the fact that this is what they want to do for a living and they could be sacrificing their livelihood. And we know from Tess Fowler, who came forward, as an in an aside, she wasn't even in like a big article that she pitched anybody, or she was just mentioned in an aside on social media that she had been, you know, she had been sexually harassed, and we know that there had been that she has had she has faced problems in her professional life. She has said this as a result of having come forward, and that there's a, a ripple effect that's continuing to have an impact. And you know, the great news is that she's writing. She's sorry, she's doing art on on um. Uh, on Rat Queens, which is a comic that a lot of people mm-hmm. really like, um, you know, it's, it's got a lot of popular uh, popular support. But I'm pretty sure her getting hired in that role was in part because people were like, need, you know, were like, shit, you know, this is an incredibly talented person. We can't, we don't want to like lose her. And I think that it's not surprising that the studio that hired her is was um, not one of the big two. Yeah. Yes. That it was one of the non-big two studios who came in to like to. I mean, she is, well, that's Image, right? So it's not like Image yeah, is but, like a perfect yeah. whatever anyway. But but Im- Image doesn't make freedom, those decisions. You know, 
I, yeah, I would exactly. say that it, other writer. it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not shocking that a writer was the one, uh, an indie creator was the one that uh, stepped up for this. Um, yeah, exactly. So, and it's great because, like, you know, the last artist on Drag Queens was going to like need... jail for beating his wife. Basically, am I am I getting that quite right? So yeah, I don't know where. Place? Wife I don't know where it is. He got, so, he got arrested for, I think, kidding his wife or something of that nature. I don't know yeah. where that is yeah. at this point. But. So basically the point is, like, re- replacing this guy who is obviously a disgusting human being with Tess, who's, like, doing amazing art and is someone who's really incredibly brave. And, you know, her exposing to this harassment that she experienced is, like, uh, you know, it was, like, a really radical and transformative and amazing thing to do. So it's just like, it's, it's like the symbolism is like in there itself, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we, and we have, we have said, we have said this in our, in, uh, in our articles on um, the site, you know, like we're not saying like, oh, something happens to you, you need to come forward to us and tell us every last detail and be completely public. Like, we, yep. we want to work with people. Like, you know, we, we, we don't have to expose every last thing. You know, if somebody's able to, like, verify something happened to them, even if we can't use their name, like, we can still use that. But we we, we want to – we're not here to, like, be critical and say, like, oh, I don't believe you. Like, that's not what this is about. Um, we want to help just address this problem. But you, what you're saying, though, about, you know, even if there's press, it's not going to change anything. Like, I do think that having press is is the first step to changing it because it's something which is more undeniable like, that, 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 that the publishers can't continue to ignore and then with that press, you're able to organize around it. Um, you know, there was an article about uh, um, the new comics coalition in Europe of women in mm-hmm. comics that are, Emma um, had a piece about that in Rainbow Hub, that are, you know, having a statement and, like, organizing together. And that kind of thing would be really powerful to have happen here. And then to have... Just more people with positions of power in the industry, like for example, refuse to work with people who they who they are known to be bad actors. You know, everyone is replaceable. Sorry. You, yeah, well, you <laughs> think? Um, I mean, Sally, this has been an issue that has been the case for. I mean, I know stories that go back thirty years at least, uh, maybe more. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I mean, when I say the institution's broken, the institution's broken. Uh, my my, and I've been thinking about this a lot for the last week. Is so, I talked to a lot of people on this, and kind of my takeaway off of a lot of thinking, a hell of a lot of thinking, is a couple things, and I kind of want to throw it out there and see what you think. Um, one, by naming individuals, it becomes immediately an us versus them, of us versus that individual as opposed to us versus the problem. We're kind of focusing uh-huh. too tightly on something. So that's that's kind of the first thing. Um, where a better would be to use the situation of, you know, the harasser or whatever comes up and talk about how it wasn't handled in, you know, correctly in the company, explain how this is a uh, liability potentially for millions of dollars in lawsuits. Um, and I'm still shocked that no one has done this because you will make more on even being the hush money Warner Brothers and Disney will pay off than you would uh, making comics for multiple years. Um, 
so there so they're so using the situations to show how the institution's broken and then I think the key is the advocacy part. And the advocacy part I don't think is geared towards Marvel and DC. I think the advocacy at this point is actually geared towards Warner Brothers and Disney because I'm not convinced uh-huh. they have a clue yeah. what's going on. And yeah. I, my guess and my gut says if HR and the lawyers at those two were to get a whiff as to what was going on and presented with actual evidence, they would shit a brick um, and you'd yeah. see the hammer come down really, really quickly. Um so to me, like the big thing going forward would be is not just coverage and you know not co- just talking about individual uh, instances and what people are doing, but the big would be is covering it as a whole and showing how the system's broken and things haven't changed in 30 years uh, or more and uh, making uh, skipping the the low rungs, which is which would be Marvel and DC, and going basically to their mm-hmm. bosses who actually might care. Because yeah, you know, I, going to the wolves that are overseeing the the you know chicken coop is not going to solve the issue. You need to actually go to the farmer to deal with the wolves. It's probably a horrible metaphor, but that's the one I'm yeah, thinking. Yeah, no, of. But I mean I think you're right about the publisher about the you know Warner and DC not know and Warner and, and and Disney not knowing what the hell's going on, and because of the of the liability question, like would probably give a fuck. I mean, I do think as soon as you talk about individual people, it does become about them and about the personalities. But by the same token, um, yep. I think that other people deserve to be warned about who those people are so that they can avoid them and not put themselves in situations with them. And I think that for other guys to know that if they do these things, people will name them is, an, is a mm-hmm. deterrent for them. Um, so I agree that it, it absolutely will make it be about them, but it's on us as, as advocates to not allow it to just be about them and to say, yeah, Edmondson is a, is a real piece of work, uh, but we also need HR policies and we also need mm-hmm. to make sure that comics, you know, people working in the industry are working in a way where they have protection if they're wronged by the people who they work with. Yeah, what's also come up a lot as to why we don't hear a lot about this is that there are very uh, tight NDAs and various other things that are signed and people are just scared shitless of. Um, yeah, but and no NDA, no, and, and I can say this as someone who's worked for labor unions for like yep. a good chunk of my career, no NDA prevents you from speaking about being sexually harassed. Thank you. That's where I was hoping it would go. Um, and the other, and I know a lot of the sites are worried about this, is there, there are legal obligations there. Is one, anyone can sue you for anything. So, you know, uh, you know, sitting on a perch and being like, oh, if I follow everything, there's no way I'm going to get sued. Get that right out of your mind. Um, anyone can sue you for anything. I could write an article about yeah. how a comic is bad and I could get sued for it. Um, yeah. For inflicting trauma or whatever. So <laughs> that just exists as an issue as a whole. Uh, but, you know, I, there are many organizations out there. Um, I'd be quickly friend, befriending quite a few of them right now um, who, you know, have have laid out in especially in the United States it's very difficult to prove liable um there are um some key things that websites uh, you know or those who are suing have to prove um they are not easy things to prove um where's my list i had an awesome list somewhere of like here is everything here we go um they're they're not easy to prove at all um basically where is it? Uh, a great organization is the 
Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. They have tons of information about uh, libel suits as a whole. Uh, for any website that is uh, worried about things or has questions and can't afford a lawyer, you can go to here. Um, you know, these are uh-huh. great organizations. They have tons of information. Ironically, I actually work across the street from these folks. So I'm going to come a lot. I'm <laughs> tons of friends with them. Um, so, you know, but as a whole, this thought of like, oh, if I write about this, if I don't write about it, um, you know, I can't, you know, I, I'm afraid to get sued. Technically, you get sued for anything. So uh, according to the uh, Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, generally courts consider six different legal elements in libel cases, the defamatory, defamatory uh, nature of it, how it was published, the truth or falsity of claims, uh, whether it is of concerning an individual, reputational harm caused, and degree of fault, um, and there's all kinds of defenses that go on there. So that's the type of stuff they look for. But, you know, if this happened and you are, one, uh, stating facts, two, uh, you're not going with a, I'm going to ruin this person's career, and, um, you know, there is an important thing because this has happened multiple times, there's clearly an issue or whatever about it, you know, you are generally in the right. You still might get sued no matter how right you are. But that could be, again, for anything. So, um, you know, it's, I, you know, I see it on both thing, both sides of things, but, you know, knowing that, you know, no matter what I do, if I put my neck out there, I can get sued, like, it's better to do the right thing. I mean, enough's enough. Like, it's time to, like, actually make change, um, and it's not just us sites who have to say anything. Like, people in the industry actually need to, you know, walk the walk and not just talk the talk. I think a lot of people will... A lot of people uh, contacted me personally and said, you know, awesome article, fantastic. Um, you know, great. If you actually believe that, then don't take work from Marvel. Don't take work from DC. Don't work with the creators that we know are shitheads and shitheels. Um, you know, actually stand up and do what you said you were going to do or, you know, what you believe. Um, it's huh. not a, a one-way thing. Um, we're kind of, we all need to get to do it together to actually, you know, create change. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's something, an issue that will not go away, I think in the short term. Um, but I'm, I'm going to declare it right now, game fucking on. Um, you Uh know, they've dealt with comic websites. They haven't dealt with a bunch of people who are political activists at the same time. So, uh, we're about to fuck up their world is the, the, the short version of it. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of more people have been emboldened in speaking out. And there's a really great piece people should check out that um, Alex DeCampi, who was our guest on our last show and who is, like, my favorite person right now, um, wrote on her Tumblr, you know, about her experience. And she connects, like, the problems that women face in the industry back also to, like, why some comics are so shitty. Um, You know, there's a quality (laughs) uh, aspect to this as well. Um, so I thought it was an interesting angle to take. Um, I yeah, think that also, was, like, it, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, and, like, even that, like, there's there's uh, a lot came out of SPX uh, this weekend. There was a lot of talk about this. I talked to a lot of people who were more inside of the industry and got their opinions. And, I mean, you know, one, I'm I'm pretty sure Warner Brothers and Disney don't have a clue as to what's going on. And two, uh, there's such a massive disconnect between reality and um, and you know what they think reality is that it's amazing. Like the uh, one person that they can't be kind of hints at, 
uh, someone told me, oh, the reason um, he's still on as editor is because the company thinks he really gets the character, to which my retort was, but the character's sales have been oh. like tanking over like the last decade. And the person looked at me and was like, hey, don't talk reality and numbers. And I was just like, I had this look. Well, well, like, who decides that they me? really get that character? Like, who decides that they really get it? Like, who who decided that? I mean, that's just uh, weird. I, yeah, no shit. No shit on that one. It's really bizarre. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, that just blew my mind. And I'm like, these people, I like, I, you know, none of these people have gone to business school because basics of this makes no sense. Like your sales are going down. You, clearly the person doesn't need know the character and you need to shake things up. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, that one hurt my head, but that's the type of stuff we're dealing with is just this massive disconnect between reality and, um, what they see perceive as reality. They're in a fantasy world. Is there a shock on that one? Yeah. <laughs> for, for people who, who write about superheroes. We, 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 we need to start um, you know, bringing this up to Disney and Warner Brothers. Um, and we should think about how we can do that in the best way for them to, to see and take notice. Yeah, I mean, I, I've kind of got my initial thoughts um, there, you know, uh, that we won't talk about here because I enjoy blindsiding people and I think it's going to be kind of entertaining um, to do it the way I would like to do it. So we can discuss that part off offline. But, um, yeah, to me, it's like the key here is it's not just writing an article. Like writing an article is fine. It brings things to light. The issue dies in like three days because there's something else to everyone. It's a shiny object people get distracted by pizza rat. Um, you know, it needs to be a constant thing and it needs to be, there needs to be a huge, I think, advocacy component along with it that keeps on getting pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, and yeah, so, and I feel good on that. I have never lost the advocacy battle. So I, this is one I want to pick up because I'm going to go oh, for wow. a perfect record. Yeah. I was going over. I'm so like, if you're I never this lost. And you guys are, if you guys hear hearing this and you and you're down for the fight, you know, send us a message. We will need more activists and organizers involved. Yes, this is going to be a, I think, a long battle, but uh, well worth it. Um, and I'm willing to stick my neck on the line for it because it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but we're agreed. Like, it, you, we have. There's got to be some sort of advocacy comp- component to it, right? Like, an article's not going to do. An article is not going to change the world. Or yeah, blog, let me exactly. that. A blog is going to change the world. Uh, alone, not alone, yeah. Right. There's got to be more to it. I mean, uh, you know, I was thinking of like all these, you know, su- successful things that's been going on over the last few years, and it's always a combination of the two. There is always a press, um, you know, a sustainable press um, component to it where they're constantly having. Um, uh, articles written, or they're finding good um, stories to tell and making it um, relatable for individuals, and at the same time, there's a press uh, going on as far as the advocacy component and uh, in you know trying to get maybe legislation changed for um, something of that nature. So it's a... Yeah. It basically can't be an island, so I, I think that's been missing for quite a long time. You know what? Fuck it. We're bringing it. Bring it on. Mm-hmm. I'm good with this. 
Um, so yeah. yeah. Game on, I think. And now it's it. time to talk about something that's not as depressing. Yeah. Or enraging. So might be better to put it. We're going from uh, high to low to high again. So this past weekend was SPX, uh, Small Press Expo. It takes place in Rockville, Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C. It's one of the premier, if not the premier, indie uh, small press uh, convention, uh, one of my favorites to go to. Uh, at the, and the big news coming out of it is um, during small press, they have an award ceremony called the Ignats, which recognizes some of the best indie comics out there. This year, women swept the Ignats. That's right. Every single award went to a woman creator. Damn. It's pretty awesome. Tell me more. Uh, Who are these awesome people? Oh, let me find my list of winners one second. Uh, there was a couple who were multiple winners, and I, even myself and uh, the other person I was there with kept on looking at each other and were like, okay, I guess we have some new comics that we need to read. Um, some of them were web comics, which makes them really hmm. easy to find. Um, but to, to go through it quickly, um, for outstanding artist is Emily Carroll, who did Through the Woods. I think Through the Woods is by, like, uh, I want to say Drawn Quarterly. I know it made a lot of best o- of lists last year. Um, you know, well, obviously well-loved book. Um, outstanding Anthology Collection, How to Be Happy by Eleanor Davis. Outstanding Graphic Novel, uh, the Oven by Sophie Goldstein. Um, outstanding story is Sex Coven from Frontier Number no. Seven by uh, Jillian Tamaki. Um, Jillian was actually also nominated a few times for her graphic novel Super Mutant Magic Academy. Um, promising new talent is Sophia Foster Domino. Uh, you'll hear her name a lot because she won like four times. Uh, the promising new talent she won for uh, two comics, one called Sphincter, and the other one called. Sex fantasy. As my buddy, who huh. was the one that announced it, made sure to have a pause because he was afraid he was going to say sphincter sex fantasy, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> uh, That's rather specific. We're looking yes. for a broader rather than more specific fantasy. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I had my phone out there because I was hoping he was going to stumble and say sphincter sex fantasy, in which case I was going to make it my ringtone. Um, uh. outside. <laughs> Outstanding series is also Sophia Foster Domino, uh, who won for Sex Fantasy. And um, Sex Fantasy you can find online on her website. I think it's like hellofia.com. Uh, I will tweet that up once I'm done talking. Uh, Outstanding comic is uh, The Oven by Sophie Goldstein, who won before. Outstanding mini comic, Sex Fantasy number five by Sophia Foster Domino. Oh. Uh, outstanding online comic is The Bloody Footprint by Lily Care, uh, or Carr. We've got all the nominees and winners on our website. You can just search for Ignatz and find it. But uh, to me, that was it was huge that women swept uh, the Ignatz because the thing that I find really interesting is usually the uh, indie stuff uh, trickles up to you know the more broader mainstream stuff a few mm-hmm. years down the road. So, you know, Lumberjanes today, they were all creating indie comics a few years ago, and you would have seen them at SPX. Actually, I met a few of them at SPX uh, in the past for some of their other previous work. So um, I would expect to see a few of these writers down the road at some of the the bigger publishers, which will be awesome to see, but it will be probably two or three years. Um, But yeah, to me, that's 
the huge story out of uh, out of SBX is that the women basically kicked ass and took names at the Ignats. It's almost like women want to make colics. Yeah, kooky how that works. Kooky, kooky. Um, yeah, I mean, like the other that was the other thing was uh, if you went around the floor and went you know booth to booth. It was tons of women. Um, you know, anyone that that thinks women aren't into comics or creating either uh, behind the booth selling stuff or walking down through the aisles was filled with women. Um, you know, there to to have fun and and check out SPX. So, um, if you want the reality of where comics are or where comics are going, like right there is your evidence, um, which was awesome. Yeah, to whatever. See. What did you? Do you have anything specific you suggest that we read? Um, if you, actually, if you, folks really want just a good list, go to the SPX website. Um, S, I think it's SPXpo. Um, let me get the actual URL. Let me get it because I always get it wrong, so I always have to Google it. Um, so it's spxpo.com. They have a list of books that were de- debuting this year. Over 200 graphic novels and comics debuted at Small Press Expo. Go through that list. Wow. And you will find amazing works in there, some fantastic stuff, um, more mainstream stuff from like Drawn and Quarterly and Fantagraphics and Top Shelf to uh, web comics that people literally were printing out on Xerox machines and stapling them, stapling them together. Um, you will find a um, just a wide variety of comics on that list alone. Um, and I plan on, you know, I, I picked up a nice stack, which I will be uh, posting up uh, photos of my SPX haul. But I plan on going back afterwards and, and checking out what else is there because there's some fantastic stuff. Um, and the thing that cool. struck me this year is it was much more professional in the sense that uh, previous years there's a lot of people who literally like print out their comics, you know, on a Xerox machine at Kinko's. Kinko's actually might have been the higher end of things. That um, they might have been just at work printing stuff out and bringing it to uh-huh. the to the show. There was much less of that, so there was much nicer printing, um, really nice kind of layouts of books. Um, I like. I don't want to say professional because it's rude to the people before, but uh, much a better packaged material. I think would be the best way of putting it. So it was a very interesting uh-huh. year in that sense, um, but not a bad thing. I mean, there was. I came back with some awesome stuff. I can't wait to read. Um, so yeah, there'll be a lot of reviews and some cool, really cool shit that you probably cannot find anywhere. But I will do my best to. Uh, find some links for people to check stuff out afterwards, after they read my review. Great. I look forward to seeing it. I am yeah. always trying to figure out what I should be looking at that I don't know about. Uh, so the the fun ones that I liked was uh, it was a mini, just a really small comic. It'll, it'll take me maybe five minutes to read. I don't know if it, it's probably a web comic, uh, but the guy was goofing around and basically did a reverse of Garfield. So instead of Garfield being you know, the cat and the small thing, it's John is the, you know, the Garfield. So it's like John buck naked on a table with Garfield in like the human role. Really bizarre. Oh God. Had me laughing. Like I just picked up one or two of them and was laughing my ass off. It was really, really funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, like that's the type of stuff we're talking about. It's, it's weird things like that. Um, one creator who 
if I had a publishing company, I would snatch her up in about two seconds, is uh, Monica Gallagher, who has, does um, a great series about a roller girl. Um, she's done a couple things for Oni, uh, but she had a new comic come out that's like 28 stories about Hitman, I think is it? It is. Uh-huh. I, I picked up a copy of it. But, you know, flipping through it really quickly, awesome. She is an amazing talent. Uh, I Whatever she has new at... Uh, SPX, like, I buy it. It's it's one of those, like, oh, you've got something to just hand it to me and tell me how much I owe you. Um, she's an amazing talent. Um, I'm trying to think what else I bought. Uh, there was an interesting one from a guy who helped um, do Seconds, which is uh, the follow-up to Scott Pilgrim, O'Brien O'Malley. Oh, right. Yeah, so this person was, like, the artist helping him. And he did a mini comic about him helping Brian on seconds, which is like really meta and weird. But I was like, this kind of sounds awesome. Uh, so I grabbed that. Um, trying to think what else. Tons of stuff from Big Planet Comics, Retrofit Comics, which do some fantastic indie books. And yeah, I'd have to look what else. I mean, it's there's a nice stack. It'll keep me busy for at least a week. Um if not two. But, uh, you know, for, for those who want to know and find out, like, good indie comics, go to the Small Press website, spxpo.com, and go to their uh, debut books, and there's just a huge list of, like, 200 books that debuted, and go from there. And it will run the... It's just a massive amount of different books that uh, there'll be something that you'll be interested in, so... Um, highly recommend it. And for those who've never been to the show, also highly recommend it. It's uh, it's one of my favorites of the year. So it's good. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the kind of the big thing that came out for SPX for me is the the Ignats. I mean that was it's that's huge of just women sweeping the awards. Um, and congrats to everyone who was who's nominated. There was some amazing books nominated this year, amazing comics, and fantastic creators. So congrats to everyone. Mm-hmm. Especially women. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of that. that's everything with that. And yeah, pretty sure, pretty sure that's everything. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you would like to discuss. Or... No, not necessarily right now. Um, you know, go go check out our work. Uh, making sure everybody remembers. Our website. I have a review yes. of uh, the new car- of the new comic. I'm sorry, the new Cartoon Network show, uh, Moonbeam City. That I'd love to get folks to take a look at my review. Check out the show. Let me know what you think. Um, and I might have a review up for Grayson, depending how things pan out this week. <laughs> uh, yes, and then you can also go to the site, and we have some other cool things uh, going on. Uh, we've got a new feature that pops up on Sundays where we as a group kind of discuss a topic and it kind of is gathered as this long discussion. Um, we've talked about uh, digital versus print. The latest one is the DC television and Marvel and uh, sorry, DC television and movie universe. And do they need to be uh, one in the same or can they be separate? Uh, so that's really cool. Uh, we've got a new series of um, articles called uh, Muppets Gone Missing, which is kind of the histories of Muppets. Uh, the new Muppet series is out uh, tomorrow, and I highly recommend it, but it's some really cool uh, history of uh, basically the Muppets, basically, uh, of, of some of the creators behind yeah. uh, 
you know, Fraggle Rock, uh, Sesame Street, and all that, and kind of interviews and stuff like that. It's, it's, if you're a Muppets fan, you'll love it. It's really, really cool. And then finally, for anyone who doesn't feel like going to a website every single day, we have a newsletter that you can actually sign up for and not get spammed uh, with three billion messages. Uh, so I encourage you to go to the website and please sign up for the newsletter. Um, one email goes out a week, just kind of curating and highlighting some of the top stuff for the week. So uh, go sign up, check it out. And yeah, I think that's everything. Uh, coming up this week, there will be uh, SPX coverage, I believe Rose City Comic Con coverage, and probably Hawaii Comic Amazing Hawaii Comic Con coverage. And wow. yeah. Yeah, we were we were like coast to coast this past weekend covering stuff. We were in DC, uh I think Rose City is in Seattle, I think. And then uh over in Hawaii with the Oh, you know what? a lot of us are gonna be I should probably mention this to you first, but whatever. A lot of us are gonna be <laughs> at Comic Con in two weeks. And if any of our listeners, you know, are gonna be there, we'd love we'd love to meet you. So Yes. Shoot us a tweet. Yep. Yep, we will be at New York Comic Con, which is in is it two or, uh, whatever uh, October, is it eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, tenth, eleventh, or something like that? Eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there will be a lot of us there, so you know we'll, we'll figure out something fun for us and them to do. Anyone would like to meet up? Um, yeah, I think that's everything. We've covered a lot, much discussion. Uh, yeah, I think we will be back next week, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, I sure cool. Will be. Yeah. I just want, oh no, it's the 19th or that you can't do it. Yes, we are back next week. Um, September 28th, we'll have a new episode of, uh, Graphic Policy Radio. Um, for those who like to listen to stuff on Sundays, we also have Fear the Walking Fanboys, where we talk Fear the Walking Dead. Um, so that will be at like 10 p.m. on the 27th. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's everything. So you can find us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, we're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all graphic policy, keeping it nice and consistent. Until next time, I'm Brett. And I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky. And thanks for listening.